I'm always kind of excited when somebody else, when I bring, when I reach out to a guest and they're like, oh, I want to run this game for you. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Yes, please. <laughs> and I get my popcorn ready and I sit back and I'm just giddy. Welcome to D&D Dads, an advice show where two dads answer your role-playing questions. I'm your dad, Brennan Taylor, and I have another show you should listen to, Dungeon Not Included. I'm your dad, J.R. Blackwell, and I still don't know if I'm a millennial or not. Yeah, that's a very deep question that my children have to ask themselves all the time, too. Aren't they Gen, Gen Z? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> They're right on the edge. <laughs> that's my problem. See, I was born in the late half of 1980, in October 1980. So um, some places say I'm a millennial and some places say I'm not. Now yeah. that I'm Gen X, right? So, um, yeah. I'm so currently in the middle of Gen X, so I'm good. You good? You feel so secure in your I generation. <laughs> I feel so secure in being left out of every chart that people post. Oh, great! Fantastic. <laughs> well, at least you're not ruining any industries. No, I did that 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Which I may or may not be. Um, <laughs> right. We just don't know. Uh, <laughs> or maybe I did it 20 years ago. I don't know. I'm so insecure. <laughs> well, uh, with that out of the way, what's your big dad energy this week? <laughs> well, my big dad energy this week is arranging sleep-sitting trades with other parents. So... Um, so I have a daughter who goes to sleep at about 7.30. And um, for my wife and I to do anything outside of the house, somebody needs to be in the house, even just while she sleeps. And so I've been arranging these trades with other parents, like calling them up and like uh, doing this sort of kind of monetary exchange situation with no money where I'm like, listen, <laughs> can you come over to my house and watch Netflix? And then I'll go over to your house and watch Netflix. <laughs> it's a good strategy. Yeah. So uh, what's your big dad energy this week? Well, my uh, my second kid has been watching a lot of pro wrestling lately. So there's been a lot of fake pro wrestling going on in the house between <laughs> me and the kids. So yeah, we're, we're working on our, uh, on our wrestling personas now. Watch that. Um <laughs> What's your current West wrestling persona? Even work in progresses. Oh, I'm just the dad at this oh, point. You're just... <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a heel. <laughs> oh dang. <laughs> I think the dad could be a face that does a heel turn. I mean that's right, that's true. You know, like there's yeah. some real good potential for an arc there <laughs> this is exciting because our our guest is in the like pro wrestling arena oh so yeah that's kind of exciting yeah all right so uh jeff uh do you want to give us your big dad energy yeah um, i mean my big dad energy is uh watching professional wrestling with a beer in my hand and <laughs> just periodically going yeah 
Yeah, that's yeah. right. You get them. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's trouble. Great. Uh, ooh, that one hurt. <laughs> See that guy? That guy knows how to work. Respect him. I need to know. Shaking hands. Shaking hands. I need to know. Do you ever tell them what to do? Uh, oh, I definitely do. Oh, you get him. Kill him. Murder him. <laughs> Teach him a lesson. You know, let him get away with that. Yeah. This guy's no good. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's nice. my that's my big dad energy. Is I is a tall boy of beer and, and in a pro wrestling match and just you know, a lot of instructions and a lot of, mm, yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't like, I don't like this guy. I don't like him. He's trouble. Well, to introduce you, uh, Jeff Starmer is an award-winning podcaster and game designer living in Philadelphia. He's the host of Party of One, an actual po play podcast focused on two-player role-playing experiences and All My Fantasy Children, a storytelling and collaborative character creation podcast. Uh, Jeff has written several role-playing games, including When You're Here, Your Family, a LARP designed to be played at an Olive Garden restaurant. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. That was, uh, that was the best bio that I've ever, I've ever had. So I feel very, <laughs> very honored by that. I feel like you really, really hit all the beats and I will be taking that word for word. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. It's always nice to have someone else write your bio. I hate it. I feel, I feel great. Jeff, it's, Jeff, it's mostly lifted from your own website. <laughs> All right, fair. All right. Well, that just makes me feel great about me. Yeah, you did a great job. You did it first. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. So I'm sitting here with uh, James Mendez Hodes, uh, who is the author of Thousand Arrows, a game from Galileo Games. And how are you, James? Hey, Brennan. Uh, it's been a stressful week. And a stressful weekend, uh, but I'm glad to be talking about my favorite thing. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, what can you tell me about uh, about Thousand Arrows? What was uh, what was the reason that you decided to do uh, to work on this game? Um, so uh, Thousand Arrows is a tabletop role playing game based on the Apocalypse World system by Megan Vince Baker. Uh, that is about uh, the Japanese Warring States period of 1467 to 1603 or so. Um, so I wanted to write Thousand Arrows because the gaming world is full of games that are about feudal Japan plus something else. Most commonly feudal Japan plus Orientalism and the Western gaze, but other times it's feudal Japan plus fantasy, feudal Japan plus noir, feudal Japan plus all kinds of things. I wanted to have one game that's uh, just about feudal Japan, uh, and especially feudal Japan from a Japanese perspective and based on Japanese sources. Cool. I think the Warring States period is also underrepresented in Western pop culture. We usually see the Edo period or later. And I think that the Warring States period is actually a really fun and easy starting point for newcomers to historical fiction or historical fantasy gaming because of the focus on uh because the propriety and ceremony and protocol that we see in a lot of historical settings fall away against uh this tapestry of ambition and violence and passion cool so what's your favorite part of the game so uh it's a it's a tie between a couple of things 
So I really like that the characters are really high powered. They're all movers and shakers. They're not, you're not just any samurai. You're a samurai general. You're not just any Buddhist monk. You're an abbot. You're not just any ninja. You're the spy master for a major clan. Even if you're a farmer, you're a farmer who's leading a revolution or something like that. Uh, so I like playing high-powered characters who are ordering troops around on the battlefield and making decisions that are changing the course of history instead of just getting caught up in it. Uh, cool. System-wise, my favorite thing about the game is the attachment system. So in addition to doing things in the game uh, using uh, your, your strength or your social skills or uh, your stealth, uh, there's also a system that uh, tracks your attachments uh, in a Buddhist sense uh, to everybody else, every other character in the game, as well as to your own values. And the attachment system can come into play to modify any role. Um, and the, as you get more and more attached to a person or to a concept, it becomes easier for you to help or affect them, but you also become more beholden to them. Sounds amazing. Thanks for uh, for being on here and telling us about it. You're welcome. Um, I I hope that you all have fun playing Thousand Arrows and that you join me in many hours of gunpowder and betrayal. Perfect. Well, we brought you on a show to answer a listener question, Jeff. And uh, this week's question comes from Marshall, who asks, where do dungeon masters come from? Uh, mostly you know logistically speaking i mean i don't know i don't know you know where how how you know heavy we want to get with this i don't know how, <laughs> how deep we want to get into this but i think mostly uh they come from a place called necessity they come from yeah, a place yeah. called somebody owns the books and has a car <laughs> and does not want to host <laughs> exactly yeah well at least as far as i'm concerned it came from nobody else wanting to do it so that's uh that or uh the other option is uh, a desire for control you know just <laughs> iron fist i mean that's how you know my own story is a desire for iron fisted control and a sense of power that will immediately go to your head i think mine's have evolved into that so <laughs> it, kind of, it, it, it will eventually it will right <laughs> Well, I thought you were the perfect person to talk about where Dungeon Masters come from because of Party of One and because you are the GM um, so much on Party mm -hmm. of One and uh, and you choose that role as the host, like bringing people on individually and running mm -hmm. games for them. And so I thought like that's I mean, that's pretty that's pretty intensive to do that um, on the regular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um it's been it's it's very satisfying, but it is it is a thing that like requires a lot of, you know, buy in and input. I'm always kind of excited when somebody else when I bring when I reach out to a guest and they're like, oh, I want to run this game for you. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, thank you. Yes, please. <laughs> and I get my popcorn ready and I sit back and I'm just giddy. But I, I completely understand what you're saying. And so I, I think my my honest answer for the question is I think it comes from like I think I think. You know, it can come from necessity. It can come from a desire to have a particular story that you want to tell. But I also think it can come from a desire to, you know, there's there's sort of the when you break into dun break Dungeons and Dragons in particular into sort of its component parts and you look at like the, the roles of the Dungeon Master. One of the key things is that you are essentially I know I made a joke about not wanting to host in the 
the logistical sense of like, I won't want people in my apartment. But there's the idea that you are orchestrating this thing so that everyone else gets to have this very particular personal moment. And I feel like that's something that I feel like that pull is something that I think you see a lot of in people that are really passionate. The kinds of people that will often say, oh, I way, I far, I way prefer running games to playing them. You'll see a lot of times it's that they want to tell a story, but also make sure that everyone else gets to have their story told. If that makes sense. That's my take. That's my, that's been my, that's always kind of been my view of like what makes someone who is going to be a really great GM, DM, storyteller, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to, to dig into a little bit about what you were saying about uh, having everybody have their moment. Um, what do you think is the, uh, you know, what is the GM bringing to the table that allows that to happen? Um, I think especially like in terms of more sort of traditional party focused games, there's a lot that, they, you know, you think about things like encounter design in D&D or uh, the way moves are structured in something like a dungeon world or an apocalypse world where a lot of them are, you know, put a character in a tough spot, highlight this character's opportunities, highlight this character's weaknesses. There's a lot of the 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 way that the games are built are kind of built in a way that uh, present the opportunity to present a challenge that one of the players at the table, whether it is your only player or you're playing with a table of eight, one of those players will have an opportunity to step up and say, I would like to address this opportunity, plot thread, challenge, whatever that has been put in front of me. And in doing so, they're going to have a, a moment in which they are the hero even if it's only for like a moment or two they're going to have a moment where that person is the star of the show and that is something that is really special about this thing that we're all doing and i think that the the game master storyteller dm has that opportunity to say okay here's this opportunity that is an opportunity that i've kind of specifically put together to give you the moment to be the hero like if i put if I put a lock on a door and I know that there is a rogue in the party that is a legendary lock pick, then I am putting a challenge in place that says, this is for you to do the thing that your character is built to do. And like you see, like the, you see a lot of the game, a lot of games that are designed with a GM DM in mind have that kind of thing. And they often include in the, in the, in the game section of, make sure players have an opportunity to really flex their muscles, make sure that they have the opportunity to shine. And I think that that's that, that leaning into that is what is where a great, like a, a DM, a memorable and a great DM will come from is that mentality of, okay, here's, I'm going to build something that uniquely reflects all of your opportunities to shine. Cool. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. So, what do you think are the characteristics that um, make a good um, game master? I think you have to. You have to be attentive, I think, to a certain I think there's a level of like attentive and a level of reading the room. You know, it's a level of but it's also kind of a like. I, I, I always kind of refer back because it's a very formative game to me, but I always refer back to the. uh 
GM guidelines that are in Dungeon World, where it's like, be a fan of the characters, right? Mm. It's you have to you have to sit down and go, okay, I'm excited for the story that we're telling. I'm excited to challenge the the players and the characters that are around me. And so there's an element of like paying attention and saying like, oh, this person doesn't seem like they're invested. Let me either talk to them directly out of character, maybe, you know, at during the break or something and say, let's talk about this or, you know, present them with those opportunities. Like I was saying, put the put that locked door on the table to say, hey, here's your moment to, to be the hero. There's an element there, there's 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 element of reading the room. There's this element of paying attention to the of knowing and paying attention and being able to kind of read the people that you're playing with. It's one of the reasons why I am always extremely impressed with a very good convention DM because like the ability to sit down with a bunch of people you don't know if they're really, really good and be able to have that kind of instant connection and instant kind of surveying of the room is super impressive to me. Mm hmm. But I think it's it's an element of of knowing how to kind of facilitate that and also kind of knowing how to manage spotlight and manage expectation and, you know, keep things moving, move herding cats towards a collective <laughs> like conclusion point. It kind of all just comes down to paying attention to, to friends and knowing how to get those friends motivated towards a specific thing. The one thing. Uh, I wanted to ask you was about since you do a lot of re recruiting for games with party mm -hmm. of one. Right. Um, and then sometimes you said people volunteer to run a game for you. And sometimes people want to be players. Do mm -hmm. you feel like there are characteristics that stand out for you that like jump out uh, that are pretty common amongst the people that say, let me run a game for you, Jeff. Um, I do, and uh, the 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 cheap and late the cheap answer the cheap. That's what and I want. Answer, we want cheap here. Yeah, I'm going for cheap and easy first and foremost, which is <laughs> the right. common characteristic is that they have designed a game, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they want to run it for you. The game that they designed, or yeah, yeah. The cheap the the, the easiest way to point to the people that really want to run a game for me is people that have like I've written this game. I would like to run this game for you. <laughs> because I know the game really, really well, and I can run it in a way that will be seamless. Having, but I having think... written a lot of games, I will say one of the things that's the, the biggest treat for me is to be able to play in a game that I wrote rather than run it. I played Mission Accomplished, the, the role-playing game that I kick-started last autumn. Like I played it for the first time. I wrote it for the first time in May of 2017. It went to Kickstarter in October of 2018. And then in March or April of 2019, I play. I was a player in it for the literal first time. <laughs> so I yeah, know that. And that's, yeah, that's that's generally how it works for me too. <laughs> it's like I'll it's play months, it eventually, if not years. <laughs> so so, but yeah, um, the 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 bigger answer is the the one that I've noticed a lot, like sort of further down, is the sense of there's a certain element of like somebody saying, I know, I know this story very, very well. And I want to share this story with you is kind of how I would really point to it as really point to it as a, uh, like the quality that, that 
when, and you see that a lot in designers, right? That's part of the impulse that I think kind of makes us design games sometimes is we say, I know this story so well that I want to share it with the world. And so having the, a person say, no, no, I know this story, this game, this experience well enough that I feel like I could, that I feel like I would be more comfortable presenting you with the beats, with the narrative beats for you then I would be kind of playing through the narrative beats that you would provide me. It, it, that's, a, that's a characteristic that I can generally tell, okay, this person is going to be a, like, this person's going to be really comfortable running a game for me is because they know, they know the sort of story they want to tell and they know the beats of that story and the ways that that story is going to tell, like the way they're going to tell that story for me or for my group. That's how I kind of am like, okay, I trust I trust you pretty implicitly at that point. Nice. Nice. Any uh any more words that you want to add to this, Jeff? Hmm. I I don't think something so. we didn't ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call us out, Jeff. Call what us out. <laughs> uh well, you see the reason that I am such a great dm yeah yeah let's get into it let's let's go That's, there i feel like the one question that i wasn't asked is why are you so amazing and <laughs> really the answer you're the best thank around you. thank you no one's ever going to bring me down That's exactly right. exactly um no that's i i you know the Jokes aside, I will say that that's something that like the stuff that I've talked about here is things that I really consciously, especially around party of one. The reason one of the things I'm really grateful about doing in party of one is that it really taught me to hone that skill of reading someone one person at a time and going, OK, you're re you're responding to this. You're not quite responding to this. So let's pivot in the direction that you're really excited about and also kind of knowing, OK, so we're here we need to get here for the story to make sense and and if you're responding to this we can go we can take a skip b jump to c and end up at d which is the end of the story like knowing knowing the thing knowing how to take you via the things you're really excited about to where the story naturally concludes is a really valuable skill that i think makes is is one of the things from which great dms come is having that skill and being able to to balance giving you what you want and taking the story where where you feel it needs to end. Yeah. And I think you're right to call it a skill because I think it's something that you can learn. Oh, for sure. And get better at. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I, I will yeah. say I I will say I'm a I'm way better at it now than I was when I even started Party of One. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine you get a lot of practice on there. So I do. I do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that'll do it for this week. Um, you've been listening to D&D Dads, a role-playing game advice show for everyone at the table, the parlor, or the dungeon. I've been your dad, Brennan Taylor. I've been your dad, J.R. Blackwell. Send your questions to jrblackwell at gmail.com for advice about playing, running, or writing a role-playing game. Because if we don't know the answer... We know someone who does. We're not your daddies, we're your dads. The distinction is very important. Key distinction. Hush now, darling, dry your eye. It's not forever goodbye. There's no reason to be sad. Come join us next time here on DND.
D&D Dads is hosted by Brennan Taylor and J.R. Blackwell and produced by Seamus Ronan. Original theme music was written and performed by Kate Nix. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at D&D Dads. Rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com backslash askyourdads. Send us your questions at askyourdads at gmail.com.